My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. My wife and I uh, played a movie for our boys this week, and uh, it's one that was a favorite of ours, uh, The Bucket List, and uh, Jack Nicholson, Morgan Freeman, a fun movie where, uh, you know, in a really challenging moment in their lives or toward their death, they both realize they have cancer. They're both given about six months. And so because Jack is wealthy, he's billionaire, uh, Morgan's, he's, he's just a hardworking blue collar mechanic. Uh, they team up in a, an amazing friendship and they end up going around the world and really, you know, just dreaming of all the things that they wanted to do that they never got a chance to do. And in the process, their life changes. In the process, they change the other person's life. They do really good things. Uh, the, the three things here witness something truly majestic. They get to do that. Help a complete stranger for the good. Laugh until I cry. Number four, drive a Shelby Mustang. I've done that one. That was cool in high school. GT350H. That was great. Um, but you know, the reason I love that is because it gives us all an opportunity to ask this most important question. You know, what is the most important thing in my life, really? If I knew I were going to die, if I knew I had maybe three months or six months to live, what would I do? What would I do with the time? What would I do with my relationships? What would I just get rid of for now and focus on? And I think that's an important thing. I know when I was a youth in high school and early college, I created my own list. It wasn't a bucket list. I didn't have that idea. I had no thought of kicking the bucket. I just had a dream list, and this is what I want to do. In fact, uh, some of those things I wanted to do, I, I reminisced on this week, and I wrote them down. I always had a dream of backpacking through Europe. I wanted to ride the Ural and backpack through Europe. I wanted to climb Kilimanjaro, uh, thanks to Toto their song, Africa. Uh, I wanted to climb Kili. Uh, I wanted to walk among the ruins of ancient Greece. And that was probably because of Ray Harryhausen and Jason and the Argonauts. I just wanted to be there in those ancient uh, Doric temples. I wanted to see Leonardo, his Mona Lisa, and see why she was so uh, beautiful and, and just have her gaze at me as I gazed upon her. I wanted to, to look up at the Sistine Chapel and see Michelangelo's work. I wanted to stand as high as I could on top of the Eiffel Tower, even though I'm deathly afraid of heights. <laughs> I wanted to dive the Great Barrier Reef. I wanted to hike the Swiss Alps. I wanted to go on an African safari and with my own eyes see lions and, and elephants and giraffes. I wanted to see the northern lights, the Aurora Borealis. I wanted to, to go inside one of the pyramids of the Giza Plateau in ancient Egypt I wanted to skydive, even though I was afraid of it. I wanted to try it. I wanted to look upon Van Gogh's sunflowers. I wanted to look upon his self-portraits and his starry night. 
and I wanted to stand there engulfed in Monet's water lilies. Those were just some of the dreams I had as a kid and as a teenager and youth. And the cool thing is I've been able to do all of those, except see the northern lights. I've been to Alaska twice in the last year, and it's been Oregon overcast both times. Uh, but I got a trip this fall, so hopefully I'll see it. What's on your bucket list? I mean, if, if you really only had a few months to live, what would you do? What would you say? What would you prioritize? I know there's a lot of important things we've got on our list to do. There's, there's projects at home. There's things that we want to accomplish in the years to come. But, but if you only had a few months to live, if you were to be told that you had maybe two or three months, what would rise to the top of your list? What's the most important mission in your life when everything else gets stripped away? Now, I'll tell you the reason why I asked that in a minute, but I want to jump into the book of Acts. In Acts, we've been exploring the earliest Christianity. It's been kind of cool because as we walk through the book of Acts, we're walking around the ancient world. We start in Jerusalem. We go into all the areas around Judea. We go into the areas of Samaria. We venture into the areas of the Gentiles. We see it spread. And what I want to do today, as we take a look at this passage, it's actually in Acts chapter 20, if you have a Bible, is we're not going to look at it so much from how we normally do in Acts 20, where Paul hangs out with some elders and talks about eldering. I want to see it from a different perspective. Uh, what about the average person, the average believer? What can we learn from the Apostle Paul about how he pastored people, how he discipled people? I mean, how could we evaluate our church, Sunrise Church? And how could you evaluate your life based on what Paul did and how Paul modeled a shepherd heart for discipling people? I think if we really want to evaluate our version of Christianity, we got to do it against what Jesus said. I mean, he began it after all, right? And we've got to do it based on what Peter preached because he was one of those early disciples, one of the leaders in the church. And we've got to do it according to how Paul expanded the gospel throughout the earth. So in Acts 20, I think we're going to see a cool snapshot of this, and I'll just give you the background. Paul has been traveling around. He's done three missionary journeys already, and uh, he has been told through prophecy that he is going to suffer and die in Jerusalem at the hands of the Jewish leaders. They had killed his Savior, Jesus, and they had killed many other believers, but now he is told that he is going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to die. Now, we, of course, know later on it doesn't happen like that. He does give his life for Christ, but it was the Emperor Nero that has him beheaded. But everything in his gaze is that he is going to go and die, and he willingly heads that way, knowing that even in the midst of that, God's going to do something pretty awesome. And he gives some instructions as he stops and he hangs out with some dear friends and he knows he'll never see them again. And in these instructions, I want us to think about our church. I, I often do that at sunrise, but I also want us to think about our own lives. What are we really living for? What does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus? So just go to church or turn Facebook on, you know, what does it really mean? What does it mean to fulfill what Jesus said, where we make disciples and make disciples who make disciples. And we actually start a movement in Hillsborough and Washington County. What does it mean for us to really be serious about Jesus and not just tack him onto our lives? What would it look like if we aligned everything that Jesus said, that Peter preached, that Paul expanded, and we just say, we're going to commit to that? Well, in this passage in Acts 20, we see an awesome snapshot of that. And it starts in verse 17, and I'm just going to read the first. It says, but when we landed at Miletus... 
He sent a message, this was Paul, to the elders of the church at Ephesus asking them to come and meet him. So a little background here. He's not there yet. He doesn't actually go to Ephesus. Uh, it's a massive church. It's, it's, it's a massive community, one of the larger communities in uh, ancient Turkey at the time, in the ancient world. And so he doesn't go there because he'll just be uh, bombarded with people. So he stops a city short and he sends for the elders to come and meet with him. Well, before that all happens, he walks a lonely road. Take a look at this. This is the road. Uh, this is the ancient Roman road that heads to Assos, which is the city where he is going to finally go to Miletus and see these elders. He's with all of his friends, and he asks on this ship to be dropped off, and he walks a long journey to this city, contemplating what his life is all about, um, I was able to be there. Pastor Kevin and I were there two years ago. We got to walk on this road. We got to walk into Assos to see where the Apostle Paul would have gone before he met with the elders. And, and when you think about if you knew you were going to die and you had a chance to walk a, a road alone, what would you think about? What would you contemplate? What, what bucket list? What priority list? What would your prayers look like? If you just said, God, I just need some alone time. And you walked that lonely road. The Bible says that Jesus walked a road up to Calvary. It wasn't alone, but he was lonely because everybody had abandoned him. And if you were in that situation, what would you do? What would you think? Well, Paul finally gets to this place called Miletus. And I've got a shot here of what it looks like. And, and unfortunately, the ancient world isn't quite what it you know, used to be. A lot of the buildings are destroyed. This is Miletus, the town there. And off on this area on the left, there actually was a harbor. A lot of those uh, rivers and lakes and bays, especially harbors, have been silted up over the years. And so the water is no longer where it used to be. But right here in this area is where the the ships would have come in and docked, and that's the town, and that's the area of the harbor. And, and, you know, when you think about that, you think about Paul meeting his friends, his dear friends, and saying, you know, I've spent a lot of time with you. I've given my life for you. I just got a few words for you. What would you say? Well, this is what happened. When they arrived there at Miletus, Paul declared, you know, from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, that I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. Paul didn't stop to preach. He just stopped to say goodbye. And not just goodbye, but he wanted to remind him of a few things that were impacting for him. And the first thing is, it's kind of interesting. He says this twice in the passage. He says this many tears. In my time with you, which was three years, I shed a lot of tears. That's not normally something you would say to someone. How's our friendship? It's good, but I cry a lot because of you. <laughs> you know, it's not something you think about as like being a positive thing. But what he's trying to communicate here is that he had incredible affection for them that he pleaded with them, that he, that he worked with them. In the middle of opposition, the middle of, of the difficulties of shepherding, he actually shared his very life. In fact, um, in one of the other letters he writes to another church, to the Thessalonians, he says it this way. He says, I was tender toward you like a mother is to her children by feeding you and caring for you. That's how Paul did it. He goes, I treated you like a father treats his children by instructing you and disciplining you and encouraging you. And in that letter, he says, man, I, I took great courage to declare openly and honestly, publicly the gospel, even though there was opposition to the words of Jesus. And he said, I didn't just share God's word with you. I shared my very life with you. 
You know, whenever you share your life with someone, it's not always happy. It's not always easy, right? I know some of you, you're like, you can't wait till school starts again so you can get rid of your kids. You're hoping and praying that camp opens up so you can just eject the kids out of the house. Or maybe you're married and you're like, I thought this was great because you went to work and now we're working in the home. And just do me a favor. I know nobody can see this, but kind of honestly, raise your hand if the tension in the house has been more because of COVID, right? Yeah, we're all cooped up, right? It's like all of a sudden we're living together. It's one thing to know someone, but it's another thing to live with them. And Paul said, when I lived with you, when I gave my life for you, I shed a lot of tears. There was a lot of opposition. Anybody that makes disciples knows exactly what Paul is talking about. Anybody that pastors, anybody that shepherds, anybody that leads a small group, anybody that shares God's truth knows that it's a challenge sometimes. Uh, You don't have to be a pastor to know this. If you've ever discipled someone, if you've ever led someone to Jesus Christ and followed up with them and and opened up the Bible and taught them about faith and life in Jesus and walked that journey discipling, you know that sometimes it's hard. Sometimes uh, people get stuck. Sometimes the reality is uh, sometimes the very people that you've given your life for look at you and they fight you. And it's just one of those oddest things. It's kind of like parenting, though, to be honest, right? I mean, if, if you've been on the journey of parenting or maybe you're older, grandparenting, um, I know Pastor Taylor and Annie, they're going to have a baby. I think, I think she's the one that's going to have the baby. Taylor's along for the ride. And that's going to be any day now, which is awesome. And we're going to see pictures on Facebook. But any of you know that the cuteness of the baby uh, is only one part of raising kids, right? Uh, there's the absolute utter exhaustion of all night long. There is the reality of, of just not knowing what to do sometimes, of, of taking a guess, of doing your best and, and your prayers and you hope and you dream and then they go to school and then they get older and, and then they reach teenage years and, and some of, you know, that's all I need to say about that, right? And, and then they go to college and some of you parents, looking back, you know that, you know, when you care and you love and you feed and you guide your kids, it doesn't always work out to where they come back and say thanks, right? They don't always appreciate what you're doing when they push back on the discipline, when they push back on the rules. You sit there and you go, I know in my heart it's the right thing to do, and you shed tears inside, but that's what it's like to parent someone. That's what it's like to disciple someone. That's what it's like to lead a church. And so Paul says, you know what? The reality is sometimes discipling is crying. That's a good tear though because you're involved in someone's life. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear either publicly or in your homes. A little cool thing about that. 33 years ago, I was in a college class. I was in a pastoral ministry class. Dr. Carl Blanchard was the pastoral ministry professor. I just loved him dearly. Great guy, really inspiring to me and just taught basically how to be a pastor. Super cool. Well, he, he referenced this. This is Acts twenty twenty. This was back in like 1987. And he said, if you want to have 20, 2020 vision as a pastor. It's right here. He says, you got to be bold with people publicly and privately. You got to be willing to preach to them from a pulpit and you got to be willing to get down and hang out in their living room or go to a coffee shop and build one-on-one relationships. And Paul says, I did that. And I never shrank back. I never pulled back. I never stopped the hardness of what sometimes disciple making is all about. He says, I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of, here it is, repenting from sins and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul just says, you know, there's not a pretty message entirely with the gospel. It's actually a pretty hard message because you got to start with the hardness. You got to start with the difficulty. I mean, the Bible tells us through the message of Jesus that, that the gospel is a package of truth 
And it's really hard sometimes. And here's the hardness. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's perfect standard. None of us have made a hundred. We haven't even made one on the, on the score of the quiz. I mean, none of us get it right. We have all fallen short. And even the Bible says, even our, our best attempts are like filthy, disgusting rags. And we like to think of ourselves as pretty cool, though. We like to think of ourselves as, well, I just need a little leg up. I just need a little help. I just need to fill in the gap, right? I mean, I'm pretty good, so if God comes down and completes me, I'll be fine, you know? That's not the message of the Bible. It's a hard message. I got to say, it's an offensive message. It, it, and I, I've told people the message sometimes, and in tears they receive it, and other times they've rejected it, and they get angry that I dare declare them to be a sinner. Well, the fact is, I don't. The Bible does. Jesus does. I'm a sinner. That's a hard package. But you know, it comes wrapped in a beautiful wrapping and a bow of God's grace and mercy and love that he does care enough to send his very best, Jesus Christ himself. Paul, he did this and he said, it wasn't easy and I never pulled back. I never shrank back from telling you. Otherwise, how would you know an eternal decision has to be made? How would you know that you're responsible for your own decision to follow Jesus Christ? That one day we will all stand before Christ. One day we will all kneel before him and be accountable for everything we've ever done. I was talking to somebody a few months ago and, you know, he said the old age line and I thought it was funny. He goes, you know, I just believe that all roads lead to God. And I said, I believe the same thing. And he's kind of shocked. I go, yeah, I believe all roads lead to God. You just don't want to be down that road when you finally get there because the Bible says, everybody's going to bow before Christ. Every, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. But only those that have done it in their lifetime will go to be eternally with God. The rest of them will bow before God, will declare the truth that God is God, that Jesus is Lord, and they will go to eternal punishment. We will all end up in judgment. The question is, will you let God's judgment that fell on Christ be your covering? That's a hard message. That's an offensive message in our very tolerant, pluralistic word. Word. Anyone who shares this knows that they'll have, some people say yes, and, and a lot of people say no. It's a tough message. But for me, I just decided there's only going to be one offense, and that's the cross. There's only going to be one stumbling block, and that's Jesus. Anything else I'll throw away, because I want people to get to Jesus. Paul says, I never shrank back. I was bold, and I was willing to declare. I, I, I would hope we do that as a church. I hope we never shrink back from sharing the truth of the gospel. I hope you would do that personally. If you're going to be a disciple maker, if you're going to do what Jesus said, to go and make disciples and to baptize and teach, you've got to be able to lovingly share the hard truth, lovingly endure the opposition when people fight you for it. Well, he goes on, he says, and now, and now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. This is all he knows. This is all he sees. We read the end of the book and know that he's ultimately freed and he gets to do more ministry and then he dies by the hand of Nero. Uh, But in this moment, all he knows is I'm willing to suffer and die for this. He says, and this is, I, I love this in verse 24. He says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I make a lot of money and retire and travel the world in an RV, right? (laughs) My life is worth nothing to me unless I get all the accolades and I get to the top of the corporate ladder. My life is worth nothing to me unless I find deep inner satisfaction and fulfillment, right? That's not what he says. He says, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. What is it? Hey, this is his bucket list. There's only one thing left. He's just got a few months left or so he thinks. And he goes, all I want is one thing. 
I want to tell others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. That'd be it. On a yellow pad, if he wrote it down, there's only one thing on his bucket list. And that is, I just, I just have to tell other people about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that matters in my life. <laughs> is that even on our bucket list? Probably not, right? As a church, how are we doing on that one? Are we boldly declaring the message of Jesus Christ? Is the passion of the gospel like the number one fire in our lives? Are we loving and serving and giving? Are we expanding this, this message? Are we going out and we building relationships and boldly declaring that there's one truth, that there's, there's Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, and there's, there's no other way to be saved but through him? Are we seeing people come into the family? I, I really think that could only be answered by asking you the obvious question, are you doing it? Because we're not going to do it if you're not doing it. Because we're just a bunch of you, right? We're just a bunch of people. And if you're saying, well, that's the pastor's job, or that's the small group leader's job, or the elder's job, or trustee's job, or, you know, fill in the blank, then we're not going to be doing that. We'll have some nice bucket lists. We'll see some really cool things in life, and we'll die peaceful and happy, and that'll be great. Okay, fine. But have we really done what God wanted us to do? Not if we don't tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. I spoke with a pastor this last week, and um, he's pastoring a church up in the Seattle area. And we're talking about the challenges of pastoring a church that is inward focused. And he started there that way, and he's wanted to change it, and people haven't wanted to change. And he he doesn't know what to do. He's contemplating leaving, and and I get it. And and the reality is is that sometimes in church, we just want to be comfortable. Sometimes in church, we just want everything to be focused on us. We want all the arrows to come in. We want a nice, happy church life. But that is not what Jesus came to do, to build, to die for. He came that with arrows we pointed out so more and more people would come to know Jesus Christ, that so we would make disciples, not just go to church and be comfortable. But what, I don't know, I like comfort, right? Just like you, I like it. Being like I like it, we all are like that. But are we willing to die to our desires so that somebody else could come to Christ? Remember years and years ago at Sunrise, and we were growing, and we were changing, and we were expanding some things, and we changed stuff. I had a guy that came to Christ. He listened uh, on a cassette tape, if you remember that. And he listened to one of my sermons, and he listened on a cassette tape, and he received Christ. And, and then within six months, we made some changes, and he was angry and frustrated, and he said, I'm leaving the church. I go, why? He goes, well, you're changing these things. And I go, wait a minute, hold time out. We changed all the comfortable stuff that we liked to reach you and now we're changing stuff you like to reach others and you're mad at me this is what we've been doing right but let's be honest we all like comfort we all like it our way but how are you doing individually on this one are you changing your desires are you getting out of your comfort zone are you dying to yourself so that somebody else could know christ are you boldly declaring and not shrinking back the good news of jesus because if we don't do that what else do we have one day we'll just all die away, right? And there are far too many churches that are going to see that happen. And I never want to see that happen at sunrise. Then he says this, and now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. He says, I declare today that I've been faithful. (laughs) This is pretty tough. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. Man, that's cool, right? If any of you go to hell, it's not my fault. (laughs) That's like, wow, just walk into a party and just talk about it that way, right? That kind of shuts the room down, right? If any of you suffer, if anybody suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. I mean, I've done everything because I, here it is again, I didn't shrink back. I didn't, I didn't go wimpy. I didn't go timid is what he's saying. I didn't withdraw from declaring all that God wants you to know. I did everything that Jesus wanted me to do. And you know, ultimately we all live and we die based on the decisions that we personally make. 
Because we personally have to make a decision about Jesus Christ. When Paul said he didn't shrink back from declaring, he says, I just, I stayed true to God's word. It's, let me just say honestly as a church, it's hard to do that sometimes in this day and age. When the world is modern or postmodern or post-postmodern and you, know, you figure all that stuff out and, and everything around changes and people look at you and go, well, you got to adapt to meet the people today and you got to be willing to change some things and you got to conform. And, and I got this Bible that's, you know, the newest parts are 2,000 years old. The other stuff's four plus, right? And you go, but I don't think that should change because that's what people have been really been been taught for thousands of years but that just doesn't work today because we know more things we we're, we're more advanced and that's not a very tolerant message today and I man, I got to tell you churches left and right are changing the gospel truth to reach people but the the statistics and the odds are they're going to die one day the church is going to crumble because if, out, if you don't have the truth what do you have right you just have a country club. I was in Western Uganda a couple years ago, and I was with my buddy Derry Turner, who's a missionary in that area outside of Kasese. And we were at the Western uh, Uganda uh, Baptist Seminary there that he's been uh, working with for years. And so the the church and the pastors they were dealing with a, a tough issue. It's a really tough issue, and their culture was trumping the truth of the Bible. And so Derry pulled me in, and and I had some fun with it. Derry and I were um, you know talking, and I was challenging them, and they said, "Hey, we need to meet." So Derry. I went for a walk and for a couple hours they were discussing this and that's corporately how they do that in the, in the tribes there in Africa and in Uganda and um, so Derry and I went for a walk and we saw some of the crops and some of the fields and uh, the solar thing that he had put up to, to do water pump and, and we walked down to this river right behind the seminary there and uh, people were washing clothes some people down there kids were taking a bath and we, he talked about the river and I said does it ever you know go to flood stage he goes oh yeah rainy season this just man it just floods the waters come down and I said I've got an idea. And so when we were done, we went back into the room of all these pastors there that had been wrestling with this. And they, this is what they said. They said, but, it, it, but this, is, this is our culture. We don't confront that sin. I'm like, you've got to confront that sin if you're ever going to have a culture that follows obedience to Christ. And this is what I described. I said, you know, sometimes pastoring and staying true to God's word is like standing in a riverbed and the water is just kind of lapping around your feet. That's pretty easy, right? And then the rains come and then the water rises up to your knees. That's pretty cool because you can dip down and you can, you know, you can kind of cool off or you could swim a little bit. But you know when the water starts to rage, that's when it gets difficult. And when the water starts to press in and the water gets higher and higher and they know that from that river, if you don't stand your ground, you're going to get washed down. In fact, if you get tired and lift up a foot and go, I'm just going to float for a while, you'll never regain your, regain your footing. And I said, you guys have to make a decision to stand strong on God's word and not drift downstream because all that pressure on a pastor, on a church, on a disciple maker, it can wear you down sometimes. But never shrink back from declaring the truth. You know, in this age of social media, it's hard to be honest with people. Um, it's easy to lie. It's easy to, you know, put a good portrait up of your best day and how everything is supposed to look or you want people to look and show your awesome breakfast that you made. And it's good to present, you know, the fun stuff you do. And we all do that. But it's hard to be honest with people about how life is really going. You need people in your life that are willing to say the hard things and the hard truths and you need to be the kind of person that commits to lovingly saying the hard truth when the fellow believers around you are struggling with their sin. You gotta package it in love, but you gotta be honest with them. That's what Paul is saying. 
you know, we didn't just show the Instagram pictures of life. I got down there and we lived together and we ate together and we worked together and we cried together and we experienced hardship together. If you don't have that, then you're not experiencing true church and true community. Well, as I draw to a close, I want to share another passage that Paul shares in Corinthians and and it's his heart for them. And the reason I want to share it is because it's my heart for you. Um, Every time I preach, and if I'm preaching one service now or three services or whatever, it doesn't really matter. I, I have this on my iPad and my phone and it is a passage of scripture that I pray and I read through and I say, God, I only want to know this as I get up to preach. And it's, it's these words in 1 Corinthians starting in uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. Paul says, when I first came to you, to Corinth, he says, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive, impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan, the gospel. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. He says, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. And he he says it this way, I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Here's, here's why I read that before every time I preach. I mean, I've had the honor of leading Sunrise for 22 years as senior pastor. I've had the privilege of preaching just, you know, three, sometimes four, sometimes five messages a weekend. These days, one right now, you know. Um, but all I've ever wanted is this, is that you see Jesus, not me. Sometimes I try to be cute, doesn't always work. Sometimes I try to be funny, Sometimes I try to have a deep thought. Sometimes I try to share something compelling. And in honest, I just want to tell you what the Bible says. I just want to live a life where I just declare openly and I don't shrink back. And sometimes with tears, just say, forget me and focus on Jesus. I don't want to be impressive. I don't want to dance around on a stage. I don't want to have cute graphics. I don't want to have really impressive. I just want people to see Jesus. Forget me. Forget our worship team. See Jesus. Forget your small group leader. Forget the pastors. Just look at Jesus. He's the savior. He's the one that's, he's the only one that's impressive. And so we don't want to impress you with cool techniques and smoke machines, fog lights and moving lights. I've been to those churches. It's kind of a cool experience to be frank. It really is. We just want to be real with you. We just want to stand here and say, this is God and this is his love for you. Two years ago, I stood right here as I took this picture, right here on this little hill where the harbor was, where Miletus was as a city, where Paul stood with the Ephesian elders. And I read that scripture. We had a group there. And I said, let's pray. And I prayed for sunrise. I prayed for you. And this is what I prayed for. I pray that we would never lose our passion for God and that we would never lose our compassion for other people, especially the lost. I prayed that we would never, ever drift away from God's word. I prayed for you and I prayed for us. I prayed that we would always shine like bright lights in a very dark universe. I prayed that we would never, ever forget the focus and that is making disciples, that we'd never leave the main thing. And I prayed most of all that we would never just one day be like every other church that's built for the church, that exists for the people inside and is forgotten the least, the last, and the lost. And I prayed that we would be strong and that we would make a difference in our lifetime and that we would want to know one thing, that there'd be only one thing on our bucket list. 
that we would preach the message of Jesus and we would openly declare it. We would never shrink back from it. And even though it would cause us tears at times for joy and for sadness, that we would be bold with the faith because that's what the world needs today. That's what our community needs in the midst of all the anxiety and the stress and the pressure and the sickness and even the death. We need to be followers of Jesus Christ that never shrink back, but in love declare the hard truth because it is an eternal truth found in Jesus Christ. Don't try to be cute. Don't try to impress anybody. Just want to know one thing, and that is Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that even we have the privilege of preaching on the internet. We have the privilege of, I get to, with this worship team, we get to preach and lead worship in an awesome room. We miss that we don't have people here, that we actually have a footprint in our city and our county of making a difference for Christ, of adding value to our community. That everywhere we are, you have strategically positioned us, living in our homes because that's the mission field. Going to the work, having a classmate. I know we're not going to school, but we will again. Going to school, being on mission for Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would not try to make it impressive. We would just live life and live all that to the fullness of a real life. Not trying to live a glamorous life online, but a true life with human beings needs to be bold and needs to be emotional and needs to be 100% sacrificial because that's the truth of the gospel is you were bold and you were loving and you were 100% sacrificial for us. And so, Father, may we be that Acts 20 church. May we be those Acts 20 disciples, gospel-focused, making a true difference in the world as we lift up Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.